You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. We are uh, in the book of Colossians on Sundays, and we're going to finish it this morning. We're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through the end of the chapter. And really, verse 1 shouldn't be part of chapter 4. It's really part of chapter 3. And so we're really looking at the whole chapter 4 this morning. And if you've been with us in our study in Colossians, you, you remember that the, the theme of Colossians has really been, is Jesus the focus of your life? I want you to think about that question for just a moment. Is Jesus the focus of your life? Is he preeminent? Is he the center of all that you do, of what you say, of what you think, of how you respond to people, of how you treat your wives, husbands, as we talked about last week? Ladies, how, how you treat your, your husbands. Parents, how you parent your kids. Employees, how, how, you, how you work, kind of work ethic you have and who you're working for. Employers, how you treat those that, you, that are working for you. I mean, it, it's, it's everything. If Jesus is preeminent, it absolutely revolutionizes your life. Revolutionizes the way you live. And that's what we've been talking about. And in chapters 3 and 4, Paul, Paul shows us really some practical areas and, and ways in which his preeminence will be manifested. And Paul closes this letter with, with two areas, two final areas that Jesus' preeminence will have a radical impact on. First of all, our, our witness, our witness in the world. If Jesus is preeminent in our life, it'll have a radical impact on how we interact and, and how we deal with unbelievers and how they, they see us. And perceive us. And if Jesus is preeminent in our life, a second thing that it will have a radical impact on is our ministry. We're going to talk about that. First, our witness, verses 2 through 6. Paul says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And so the first thing that Paul talks about in regard to our witness is prayer. Prayer is to be consistent. He says, continue earnestly in it or devote yourselves to prayer. And the context here, as we're going to see, is, is about our witness. It's about leading people to Christ. It's about having opportunities and seizing upon those opportunities. And, and it starts with prayer. It starts with being people of prayer and being persistent in prayer and being devoted to prayer. Now, when I look at my life, I wish I could say that I continue earnestly in prayer, that I'm vigilant in it with thanksgiving. But I fall so short of that. Because after a couple times of praying for something, I either A, forget about it, or B, I get tired of praying about it, or C, I figure the Lord doesn't care, and so I just give up. And it's hard to continue earnestly in prayer. It's hard to continue to pray for things when you don't see the Lord answering. Maybe you've been praying for a family member or a friend for a long time that, that isn't a believer, and you've been praying that God would reach that person. And after 10, 20 years of praying for somebody... You just kind of think, you know what? The Lord isn't going to answer that prayer. It's just not going to happen. I've been praying for a friend of mine, uh, Sean Schmidt, who we've been uh, friends since we were about in the fourth grade. And I've been praying for him since I came to Christ as a freshman in high school. And you know what? I, I have no idea what the Lord has in store for Sean, but I just continue to pray for him. But I wish I could say that I do it consistently and earnestly with thanksgiving. I, I wish I could say that, that like Paul, that he just continually prayed for those that he was ministering to. 
That's my desire, but I fall so short of that. And I'm sure that you can relate to that. But here's the encouragement, is that as Jesus is preeminent in our life, as he's the focus of our life, that it compels us to pray. And so, you guys, as you invite Jesus to be the focus of your life, something that it will do is it will have a radical impact upon your prayer life and upon what you pray for and how you pray. He says, and while you're praying, verse 3, meanwhile, praying also for us. So, hey, continue in prayer. Be vigilant in it. Be thankful in it. And while you're praying, pray also for us. Now, if I was writing this, and remember, Paul's in prison. And so if I'm writing this, and I'm Paul, I'm saying, hey, remember to pray for me that the Lord would get me out of here. That the Lord would deliver me. That the Lord would open up these prison doors so I can get out of here and do what God's called me to do. Surely that's his will. And I mean, that would be on every prayer chain, right? We'd be emailing that puppy out to everybody. But that's not what Paul prays for. Paul prays that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. And so Paul doesn't feel sorry for himself. He doesn't say, deliver me from this. He says, Lord, use me in this. And you guys, we're all in different trials and difficulties, different prisons, if you will, in our own personal lives. And our tendency is to pray, Lord, deliver me from this. God, get me out of this. But what we can learn from Paul is, Lord, use me in this. Lord, I want to be used for you. Open doors of opportunity that I would never have previously without this. And some of you are going through some some pretty radical stuff right now. And you, you are going to have opportunities to minister to people that you would never have before. Some of you are in serious conditions physically. Some of you have cancer. Some of you are going through multiple surgeries. And you, you have opportunities to minister to people that you would never have otherwise. Some of you are going through financial struggles. You know what? So are a lot of other people in Central Oregon. And so you have an opportunity to relate to people. All of a sudden, you relate to somebody that you never would have otherwise. And so you can rejoice in that and pray that God would open to you a door for the word, a door for you to minister to people. See, Paul got to minister to people in the Roman prison that he was in that he never would have otherwise. We know from the book of Philippians that Paul led many of the Praetorian Guard to Christ. Do you think that they would have listened to Paul otherwise? The Praetorian Guard was like the special forces. They don't just listen to traveling evangelists. But here they were, chained to Paul 24 hours a day. Amazing opportunity. What are you chained to right now? Your tendency? Get me out of this, God. Lord, I want out. Lord, free me. Surely that's your will. And the Lord's saying, you know what? If you asked me what my will was, if you would get into my word and let me speak to you, you would know that right where you're at is my will. This is right where I have you. And I want to use you in it. Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? Do you believe that this life is simply an opportunity for you to glorify Christ? That's what you're here for. You're not here to to amass wealth. You're not here to make a name for yourself. You're not here to recreate, to buy a plasma TV and and watch golf in HD. That's not why we're here. Although I've heard it's amazing. I don't have it, but that's not why we're here. We're here to be used by the Lord. And so when you fall into various trials like Paul did, what's your first inclination? Let's have it be God open doors of ministry that I wouldn't have otherwise. Use me in this, Lord. Bring something out of this eternal. He prays for an open door 
to be a witness for the gospel, for the mystery. What's the mystery? He tells us earlier in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. That Jesus Christ lives in your life. And that's your mission, is to tell other people about it. And it may just be that trial, that difficulty that you're going through right now is going to be the greatest avenue for you to minister that you've ever had. We pray, Lord, use me. Lord, my life is yours. Oh, but Lord, you couldn't possibly use this. No, he can and he will. And then he says in verse four, look, and also pray that when I have opportunities that I don't screw them up, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So look, when I have opportunities, I don't want to mess them up. I want to speak with clarity, with cogency. I want people to understand. I want their hearts to be prepared. And you guys, this is the apostle Paul asking for this. He doesn't say, you know what? I, I, I mean, look, I've written half the New Testament. I'm an expert in the law. I've pretty much got this down. No, he says, pray for me that I speak with clarity. You guys, if Paul prays that, we ought to be praying that. Because there's a lot of times when I'm sharing with people that I think, Lord, please deliver this person from what I'm saying. I'm, I'm confusing them. I can see it on their face. But there's other times. There's other times where I have opportunity to share with people, with unbelievers. And I mean, I feel like the Apostle Paul. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, this is amazing. And, and, and you ask them, would you like to receive Christ? And they're like, yeah. And it's the greatest privilege in the world that I may make it manifest. And you guys, it's more than just clarity of speech. It's also the way we live our life. And that's what he goes on to say in, in regard to our witness, how we handle ourselves. It's, it's not just what we say. It's not just that we have opportunities, but it's also walking in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, your conduct. The way you live your life is, is so important to your witness. Now, there's this famous quote by St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. I don't like that quote because I think it's always necessary to use words. The, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so you can't get saved apart from the word of God. You can't get saved apart from words. But there is a balance, and I think he was on to something for sure, that it has to be authentic, that it has to be demonstrated in our life. That you can't have one without the other. And that's what we tend to do. We've got preachers, and some of you are preachers. And man, you love to, to share the word with people. But then you're late to work. You're kind of arrogant and proud, and you get irritated with people. And so the, the message isn't lining up with the conduct. Some of you are just so gracious and loving and kind. But when it comes time to, to tell people they're sinners and that they need a Savior, you have a hard time doing it. You have a hard time preaching. And it's, it's got to be both. You've got to be able to do both, you guys. And that's what he says. Walk in wisdom. Be aware of how you're living your life. Don't just walk blindly. People are watching you. People are watching how you react. The, the waitress at the restaurant noticed that you prayed. And then she's going to notice how you treat her. Or they'll, they'll notice how irritated you were and how you complained that they didn't get you seated in time. And then when they finally get you seated and then they bring the food, then you pray. And they think, man, that's inconsistent. I've been there. I've been there and done that. Redeeming the time. Often this, this phrase, redeeming the time, is, is used as a, as a way for pastors to just come down on people. you got to redeem the time. you got to get rid of your TV. you got to quit doing anything fun. you got to redeem the time. It's not what Paul's talking about. What, he, what he's saying is, buy up the opportunities that you have to be a witness for Christ. Use those opportunities. 
And see, people will often say, well, I'm just not an evangelist. I'm not gifted that way. I'm not a speaker. And you know what? I, I wouldn't ask you to be anything other than, the, than what God made you to be. You may not be a person that would be comfortable going out on the street or getting up in front of people. But here's the thing. When you have opportunities, redeem them. Pray for opportunities that doors would be open. And when you have them, use them. And so when somebody says to you that they just lost a loved one and they're really hurting, don't just say something, you know, that, that Oprah might say or Dr. Phil. You know, don't just say something that sounds nice and then walk off. Here's your opportunity. Use it. Redeem it. Tell them about the hope that you have. Don't be cavalier. Don't be arrogant. But in, with compassion, with grace, with a concern for them, tell them about Jesus. When you have opportunities, redeem them. It's not only our conduct, but it's also our speech. And this is a big one. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And so when you're talking to people, it's going to be a huge opportunity for you to show them the difference Christ has made in your life. And for some of you, this is easy, easier. But if you're like me, this, is, this isn't easy. This isn't an easy thing for you. Because if, if you're like me and, and you're, you're a person that kind of has high expectations and you're a person that, that likes to get stuff done and you're kind of impatient, it's, it's really easy to let your speech be anything but with grace. And, and for me, I, I have to really work on it. I don't even notice sometimes. But your body language, your facial expressions, how you sound, and it's so important in a, in a small town. It's been made clear to me on more than one occasion. As I've been in a business, you know, and, and they're just, the service is horrible, or they're just, you know, it's just ridiculous what's going on, whatever it is, and I start to get irritated, and, and this has happened to me. And then, you know, we finally get everything done, the transaction, whatever it is, and, you know, and somehow, some way, it'll come up that, that they know who I am. You know, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so that goes to your church. Really, how do you, you know who I am? And all of a sudden, it's just like, and you're just convicted. But it's not only people that can find you out. How do you treat people that you'll never meet? The, the ones on the phone. There's been more than one time where I've just hung up the phone after talking to the lady from India that is supposedly helping me with my credit card. And I'm just like, Lord, I blew it. I blew it. I know I'm never going to meet that person, but I just treated them horribly. Maybe you can justify it. You know what? I couldn't understand a thing she said. But you guys, we've got to be careful with what comes out of our mouth. And, and maybe like, like me, it's a struggle for you. He says, season it with, with salt. I, I think this just means make it better. Salt just makes stuff better. You know what I mean? You have a horrible piece of fruit, you put some salt on it, it all of a sudden tastes better. You, you, you have just a bland potato, you know. Have you ever eaten in England? Bring a salt shaker. It, <laughs> nothing tastes good there. We've improved on a lot of things. Their cars, you know, a lot of stuff we've improved on. Football, they play it with their feet, you know, and it's kind of this round ball. We got a much better game here. Well, we've also improved the food. But you add salt to something, and it just tastes better. You add salt to your speech, and all of a sudden you make a tense and difficult situation. You make it better. Does your speech make conversations and situations better, or do you throw fuel on the fire? I've seen it happen. In the, in the rare times where I have victory in this area, and, and I just am kind and gentle in these tense situations, 
man, it's amazing that you just extinguish the flames. But when you start to get frustrated and irritated and you start to, you know, demand things and, oh man, you might as well just be throwing fuel on it. And it's like it's out of control. And you walk away just grieve. Let your speech always be with grace. Lord, help us to do. Seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And so our witness. In verses 7 through 18, Paul talks about our ministry. Our ministry. He, it's kind of like he, he talks about our witness outside the church. And now he begins to talk about our ministry within the church. He says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. And so these are the final greetings, Paul's final thoughts to this church. He's sending Tychicus for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. And so he's sending him to hear what's going on to, so he can go back and report to Paul. And, and he'll be a comfort to them. And he's also sending Onesimus. Remember Onesimus from the book of Philemon? This, this man that Paul met in prison who was a slave who, who ran away and was punishable by death. And yet Paul wrote Philemon to, to, to talk uh, th- this man out of uh, punishing him. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Now notice two things about these guys. They're both faithful. You guys in ministry, as Paul talks about the preeminence of Christ in ministry, faithfulness is huge. Now you may be thinking, well, ministry is something for you to do, Ryan. Ministry is something Stuart does or, or the elders do. No, ministry is what we all do. We're all ministers. You may not get paid for it, but you're a minister. You're a, a called out one. Wherever you're at, whatever you do, you're a minister of the gospel. You're a servant. And if you are going to be effective in that, you need to be faithful. I'll tell you one of my greatest pet peeves in the church, and maybe I'm not supposed to have pet peeves as a pastor, but I do, probably more than I should. I'll tell you one of my greatest pet peeves, flakiness in the church. Somebody that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that has committed their life to Jesus Christ, and yet they say one thing and they do another. You guys, that should not be in the church. If you say you're going to do something, you should do it. Now, the Lord changes us, and the Lord brings us into to different areas, but don't just quit a ministry because it's not working out with your plans, your recreation. Don't just sign up for something and then not show up. Make a phone call. Be faithful in what God's called you to do. It's the right thing. Not only in the church, but outside the church. And I, and I would say even more importantly, be faithful. Be a faithful employee. Show up on time. Do above and beyond what you're asked to do. You guys, we should have a reputation of being faithful. When people think about us, They should think, you know what? He said it, he'll do it. She gave me her word, and that means something. I'm not trying to be old-fashioned here, you guys. I'm just trying to be biblical. Faithfulness, it's huge. We cannot be flakes as Christians. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, here's kind of the flip side of the flakiness thing. Because Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you remember him from Acts chapter 15? Yeah, he was a flake. He went on that missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. About halfway through it, he said, I don't like it, and I want to go home. And so Paul said, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Paul was done with John Mark. In fact, Barnabas later wanted to take John Mark on another trip. And Paul said, no way. Absolutely not. And Barnabas and Paul went their own ways. I mean, I would have loved to have seen that interchange. 
between Barnabas and Paul? Was Paul's speech with grace seasoned with salt in that particular moment? That's the kind of stuff I want to know. I want to know if Paul was like me. Like, did he tell Barnabas, hey, dude, I run the show. Get out of my face, you know. I want to know what he said. But now, later on, he says to to the church in in Colossae, hey, Mark greets you. Later, in 2 Timothy, he would say, Mark is a benefit to my ministry. You guys, Paul showed grace to Mark. He didn't want to, but he did. And so there's the flip side of that unfaithfulness thing is that God would ask us to give people grace and, and mercy when they do flake out. I think they need to hear about it in a loving way. I, I don't think it does them any good to just let them continue to be the way they are, but grace them out. In Jesus, who is called Justice, this was a common Hebrew name. It's the Greek transliter, transliteration of the, the name Joshua, Jesus. He, he greets them as well. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ, a slave for life, one who's given his life to serving Jesus. Have you done that? Are you a bond slave for Christ? Greets you, always, listen, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. What was Epaphras doing? Agonizing, the word means, in prayer for them. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. He loved these people, and that's why he prayed for them. And those who are in Laodicea and those in Areopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus in the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, some believe that the epistle from Laodicea is actually the, the letter to the Ephesians. There, there are some that believe that. Others just believe this was a letter that, that Paul wrote that, that didn't get included in the canon of Scripture. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. I want you to notice verse 17 in closing. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord and fulfill it. What ministry have you received in the Lord? Are are you aware of, of what God has gifted you in and called you to do? I'm often astounded when I talk to to people that have been walking with the Lord for five, ten plus years. And I ask them, hey, bro, what's your gifts? What's God called you to do? I have no idea. Hey, sister, what what is your ministry? What is it that, that gets you fired up? What do you love to do for the Lord? How are you gifted? I don't know. I, I, I don't really think about it. Really? Maybe you should start to. Take heed to your ministry. You guys, I don't know who Archippus is, but it doesn't seem like he's a pastor. I don't think he's in full-time ministry. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord. You guys, pay attention to your ministry is what that means. What has God called you to do? What is it that is the passion of your heart? Take heed to that. Pay attention to that so that you can fulfill it, so that you can say with Jesus, what the Father has given me to do, I have done. What has the Father given you to do? You should be concerned with that. If you're only completing tasks for your earthly masters, if you're only checking off the the list of things that you want to accomplish 
and you're not concerned with the things that God has given you, that there's something wrong with that. Take heed to your ministry that you might fulfill it. We're going to have opportunity for you to to be prayed for this morning. We, We have people up here to pray with you. Man, I encourage you, ask for prayer in this area. Lord, I want to be used by you. God, I want to take heed to my ministry. I want to fulfill my ministry. You guys, we're all busy. And I've seen so consistently over my time as a pastor, not only here, but in other places as an assistant pastor, I've seen so consistently that the first thing people will give up is their ministry. It's just like the first thing people will quit spending their money on is the Lord when, when times are tough. Okay, giving's out. It's the easiest thing, right? And so is ministry. Uh, I can't do that anymore. I don't have time. All I got to do is, you know, tell Mark Richards I can't teach anymore. Thank you. I'm done. Just freed my time up. And it's the easiest thing to just shove that out of the way. And I'm not saying that there aren't times where we have to take a step back or we have to reevaluate. But what I'm saying is if, if you've shoved your ministry aside and, and you never plan on going back to that, you, you don't have a, a plan to free yourself up so that you can get back to taking heed to your ministry so that you might fulfill it. You guys, you're, you're, on, you're on a path that, that's leading to a life of self-consumption, to a life that's meaningless, to a life that's fruitless, to, to a life that when we stand before the Lord, he'll, he'll say, man, you did a lot of great things, but you didn't take heed according to your ministry. The thing that I gifted you in, the thing that I called you to. Guys, as our church grows and, and, and as we're doing more and more things, and, and as you grow in the Lord, the Lord is asking you to step into those areas. There comes a time and a place where, where you no longer just receive, but you begin to give. Sunfest is a wonderful opportunity for you to do that. We've had an announcement in the bulletin for over a month that we need help in the children's ministry. There's something wrong with that. We need help in the cleaning ministry. You know who cleans the church? <clears throat> Retired folks who are hurting. They're, they're older. They, they can't lift everything. They can't do all that stuff as an encouragement to you. Take heed to your ministry so that you might fulfill it. We're all busy. We all have a lot of stuff on our plate, but we've got to look and we've got to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to dedicate this time to you. God, I want to serve you. And not just in the church, but, but in the community, wherever you're at, that you're taking heed according to your ministry, you guys. And when, if we do that, and when we do that, we'll absolutely revolutionize this community. I've been saying for six years that God can reach this community with our church just the way it is. When we had 20 people, I believe that. When we had 50 people, we have 100 people. If we have 200 people, we don't need to be 1,000 people. We don't need to be a big church. We can reach this community. If you'll take heed according to your ministry, I can't do it all. I'm not called to do it all. You guys have unique gifts, unique callings that I don't have, that, that none of the leaders here have. And if you're holding that back, you're, you're shortchanging yourself and the people around you. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Just step out. Take heed to your ministry and watch God bless you like you've never been blessed before. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for just an awesome time in your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate communion. God, I I pray as we talked about a lot of different things as we closed out this letter. So many things that, Lord, I I just felt like you, you were just punching me upside the head. Lord, I want to apply these things. God, I want these things to be real in my life. Lord, I don't want to just read them and talk about them and, and go, yeah, that was cool. And okay, let's go have a barbecue or, or whatever, Lord. God, grip our hearts with these things. God, change us. Revolutionize our life, God. 
Make us like you, God. We don't want to play church. God, we're, we're tired of just going through the motions. Jesus, I want Calvary Chapel to be radical. God, I, I want us to make a difference in this community for the gospel. And God, it starts with individuals who begin to say, Lord, I want to be a person of prayer. Lord, I, I want to be a person who's aware of my conduct and my speech and how I treat people. And God, I want to take heed to my ministry and, and the gifts that you've given me. God, that's what we want. Collectively, we pray for that. God, pour out your spirit upon us in a powerful way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.